Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, freelance writer, player of games, writer of order, quarter videos, and a tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to the Thursday edition of my bi-weekly behind-the-scenes DM-only livestream, Crafting the Deep, in which I build, write, and prepare for our next session of Call from the Deep, or I guess from the entire campaign still at this point. Uh, I don't know who our player characters are going to be yet, but uh, I know most of you now these days, uh, and of course the usual warning. There will be lots of spoilers here. We stream our sessions live on YouTube every Friday. Watch all of our sessions and reviews here on the channel. You can join our official Discord server with invite link in the description below. And if you'd like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. For our campaign, we use roll20.net. And for streaming, I use OBS Studio. I got to actually run outside for the first time in like six or seven weeks. We're in uh, experiencing a Texas cold front right now, which means the high is only like 97 instead of 107. Uh, so it's glorious outside, so I got to take uh, the dogs and my youngest in a stroller and do a little tool around the neighborhood, which was very, very enjoyable, and of course reminded me that you've got to just stay on the regular workout routine or your body will punish you for it, which is so annoying. <laughs> uh, I think this time, so last time on crafting, we uh, talked about the chapter two quests and tried to see if any of them were going to be interesting or relevant or something I could kind of expand on and use uh, with kind of mixed results, I think, in the end. Um, what I still need to look at for the overall campaign structure and notes would be pretty much all of Chapter 3 from Call from the Deep, which I don't really need to itemize down everything, but maybe look at the stuff that's a little uh, bigger. You can see clearly some of them include some maps, for example, so maybe they're actual like dungeon locations or something you could uh, plop on there. Unfortunately, the map that I have, while it did hide some of the um, more important locations, which the player shouldn't know about at the beginning of the game, uh, it, that would prevent me from doing what I like to do during the open world section, which is move shit around wherever I want them to be. And obviously, you know, like a video game, like that's the big thing, right? You, you, get, you get a lot of the overland map that you can see, but you don't necessarily know what everything is or where everything is until you get those quests. So uh, that's kind of a bummer about uh, this map still is that it has a lot of these uh, locations already on the map. So I guess they're just known places and hopefully it makes sense why the players would know them because I do, uh, for the most part, plan on using this map. Outside times are the best. Yeah, it's good to go outside. Unless it's 108 and, and with a insane heat index, in which case uh, that will kill you, so watch yourself. And I know I sweat a lot. I'm a dude who sweats. Uh, I take a lot of showers. <laughs> I average a high number of showers a day because I'm very aware of this. Uh, and it means I'm very susceptible to heat stroke, so I have to be like very, very aware of when I'm outside. I gotta stay hydrated, gotta, you know, get a wide-brimmed hat and all that good stuff. So something to be aware of is that heat can be a killer. So we can either talk about Chapter 3's um, locations, which is a major part of Call from the Deep that I could almost entirely skip if I wanted to. It's just all kind of extra stuff, although I might end up using some of it, probably, uh, just to try to either fill in some space or as part of the quest chains that the players uh, will be on. Because, again, I've mentioned the fact that my players aren't really keen on literally doing the open world thing, I think they appreciate having a more structured story, maybe being a little bit uh, railroaded in terms of like the main quest and what they need to do, but then have some choices that they can make along the way and help develop the story uh, in that way. But it's less like, okay, here's a ship and now you can go explore the world. Like that's just, and also, you know, playing on Roll20 and using a virtual tabletop forever and ever, uh, you know, I'm also kind of limited in the maps I can pre-make and all of that. So I think that's the understanding we all have. So I try and pick and choose things I think the players would like and then lead them towards having actual quests involved and all those things versus, uh, you know, trying to come up with stuff on the spot, which if you've watched the channel and you've watched our sessions, I think you know that that's kind of the, uh, the theme that we stick to. Uh, so we can either talk about the chapter three or we can hop on over to the uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh uh, roll 28, which I, I keep this open in a different tab just because it's easier rather than adding the modules, unless I know for sure I'm going to use the modules in Call from the Deep, uh, which is why I want to talk about it now because uh, there's two that I really need to read through again and determine if I want to use them in Call from the Deep. So right now we are for sure using, as a reminder, Sinister Secret of Saltmarsh, 
uh, which is actually going to be the opening thing that I'll be prepping. Um, we'll for sure be using the final enemy, because I think that's a great follow-up to the Sawagan attack on Neverwinter, and just ends up being a really cool half-underwater island mega dungeon that the players can uh, explore and deal with and go on a rescue mission for. I think that'll be an awesome one to, uh, to work on. And we're going to for sure use Salvage Operation, and I believe I'm going to use that actually after... Sinister Secret of Saltmarsh, and before they get to Gunderland, it kind of is a fun way of like teasing the evil thing they're going to be uh, dealing with, and the fact that Gunderland like tried to send help, uh, or or tried to send uh, notice that there was a you know crashed alien spaceship there, so you can include the note and everything there. So I think I can include it as additional like a random encounter uh, that the players can come across, because who wouldn't be able to pass up like a very scary half destroyed uh, ship? like you know listing on the waves like that's just fantastic so for sure we'll be using those three i believe there's are there seven or eight total in ghosts of salt marsh i actually forget i guess there's eight because eight lists the styles i think this is an error right here where the final enemy and Terminator's fader both listed as chapter six i think that's just a typo uh so we're using three of the eight we're for sure probably not going to use danger at dunwater although i could definitely see myself using like the Hey, go meet the lizards in a swamp, and the lizards tell you to go uh, fight that legendary action crocodile thousand teeth, and then they'll tell you where the Sawagan are, but we're going to skip the actual, like, lizard folk layer and everything, because I just don't think there's much value in uh, doing all of that. So we'll use, like, elements of Danger Dunwater, and then I don't really see myself using Isle of the Abbey. I... It's fine. I, <laughs> the actual, like, landing on the skulls and then having this be... It's funny, it looks like a Minesweeper. Um, where they're, but it's Minesweeper, but it's full of skeletons that all are separate battles, which seems just terrible. And then you actually get to the, I mean, it's just kind of a standard dungeon crawl. I don't know. It feels more like this could be used as a one shot versus having any kind of relevance in my particular campaign. Um, so it's, it's kind of a three part dungeon crawl. It's, it's fine. I don't have any real complaints about it. I just don't think it really fits uh, necessarily in the context of, uh, this campaign. And then, uh, let's see, that's, so what's left? Two, three, or no, I guess there's seven, because chapter one is, is, uh, Salt Marsh. I think there's seven total. So we're using three, we're not, probably not using two, which leaves us two left to talk about, which is Temerat's Fate and the Styes. I really don't even know if I've read through Temerat's Fate very much, so maybe we can, uh, Maybe we should just go through that and look at that because there's I need to I need to go through these and determine um, at least big picture which of these I want to use and then I can slot them in there. Uh, the styes I do remember because that's the one that I kind of reviewed the most when I actually reviewed Ghosts of Saltmarsh uh, back when it released and I remember thinking it was really cool and and did that like actual Lovecraft like kind of urban um, seaside you know creepy mutation. Cthulhu shit, and uh, I would, I would, and that would fit Call for the Deep really, really well. So I think I would definitely use that. I do need to read, uh, reread it, and determine like you know if I need to change some NPCs around or make it work. But I, I actually am leaning towards using the styes. Temerat's fate, I really don't know much about. So maybe for this crafting session, uh, we will talk about this one in particular. Do we have the sidebar here where it talks about what the uh, when this one came originally, or should I just look at my? actual book. Sometimes it's funny how the book just, you can find the information a little bit quicker. Credits from the originals. Here we go. This is what I wanted. Uh, let's see. Temurat's Fate was initially released in 2004, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. That makes it third edition. Signed by Greg Vaughn. Uh, I guess. And probably the styes might have also been third. I don't know when fourth edition actually released. But I'm pretty sure third came out right around 2000. So these would be uh, the two, two of the later releases. Actually, Savage Operation was a later one too, 2005. I guess it's just the actual Assault Marsh trilogy, which was in the 80s, which would have been, I think, second edition. <laughs> Maybe. I don't, man, I don't know my, somebody's going to tell me my history of D&D. All right, so let's talk about Temerat's Fate. I don't know anything about other than it has something to do with an island, I guess, or the ocean. My group always gets carried away if I give a few side quests. Savage Operation is a great game. Are you using these side quests 
at the end of Salt Marsh. Uh, side quest at the end of Salt Marsh. You'll have to refresh. Is that? Let's see. So literally in chapter two here, side quest at the end of Salt Marsh. Uh, yeah, you'll have to remind me on where those actually where those would be. Let's see, conclusion. Oh, I might have just found them. Let's see, complete the mission. Let's see, going side of the smuggling operation and operative. Which, by the way, I'm gonna have to change the smuggling. I think we determined the best way to do that would be to. Uh, have it be that they're smuggling weapons and supplies out into the ocean versus bringing anything in because the attack, and that way you can tie it into the attack on Neverwinter, the attack is going to come from the sea. So maybe they're just taking goods out of the haunted house in Salt Marsh. Haunted house, putting quotes. And I think that's an easy, and they don't have to change anything. It's still a smuggling operation. It's just kind of, instead of bringing shit in, it's taking shit out <laughs> you're just getting the following information well yeah and then this one leads to the lizard folk thing but I'm not gonna include that one instead the lizard folk thing will be going off of the swagon attack let's see uh, no I guess it doesn't say anything right here Smuggle, it just says if they can claim some of the smuggled goods themselves so I'm not sure where the uh, where the side quests are you're gonna have to expand on that for me and yeah there is a sea elf they can find which could be an, uh, an NPC they can use and I will definitely have that NPC have some helpful information I, I might train change him into a Triton that way I can have him be like sent by Gillian or something and be able to name drop it's always fun when you can use the expanded universe stuff and he'll have some more information he'll, he'll be able to tease things I don't, I don't want to give everything away at the beginning, like I did with Tomb of Annihilation. I really liked the way it played out a little bit more with Rhyme. I'm not going to go too heavy in the story like I did with Rhyme, but I like the fact that right at the beginning of the game, they don't have a main quest necessarily. Instead, they have their immediate like quests, and then the main quest develops organically as they stumble upon it. I think that uh, ended up working really well, and had I, had I thought about it, I probably would have tried to integrate something like that into our tomb campaign versus just giving them the, hey, here's your big mission, you're on your way to Cholt. Instead, have everybody, you know, be at Cholt for some reason or another, and then they maybe discover the death curse, and then they can, you know, expand on that uh, in terms of trying to get rid of it. Tamarod's fate. Five years ago, a hermitage devoted to the contemplation of nature was established in an abandoned island fortress, once the site of a beacon meant to warn against invasion from the sea. Folks of the Hermitage opened to the island of people of all faiths, promising a place for those seeking solitude and peace. The peace has been shattered. The characters must determine what force of evil has slain the residents of Firewatch Island. Almost to the last, and how to prevent the even greater tragedy to come. It is designed for ninth level characters. So this is pretty high level, uh, to the point where if I would use this, I may have to scale it down, although between you and me, um, scaling things up, I do. Scaling things down, eh, Characters are usually pretty strong in my games because of all the magic items they get, so you don't have to scale it down that much. Developed for Dungeon Issue number 106. I think, by the way, you can get all of these online now through certain websites. Um, hopefully not completely unscrupulous, but uh, I think they're just available that you can peruse all the issues of Dungeon and Dragon Magazine, but Dungeon especially helpful because you can get all this old uh, content. Scenario builds a chilling... Scenario, well, don't use scenario twice in a sentence, that's not good. That requires the players to peel through several layers of mystery, decipher the truth of the matter, and face down supernatural horrors. End a threat before it can go to full power. Several years ago, a fearsome pirate named Seargal sailed the sea aboard his war galley Tamarot. Assuming I'm pronouncing that correctly. Correctly. Sergal and his crew showed no mercy to those who crossed their path, killing the crews of the ships that fell prey to him. Sergal's a mighty sorcerer, and his crew is bloodthirsty and skilled in both sailing and killing. Sergal claimed allegiance to Orcus, the demon lord of the undead. Orcus favored Sergal, who often benefited from strong winds in his sails and whirling currents of his prey from escaping. Our captain made sacrifices, eventually met his end just over ten years ago as he and his crew approached a naval post called Firewatch Island Plunder It. A priest implored the sea god Prokan for mercy... Whether because of which I don't think Progan exists in Faerun. 
Whether because of luck or because the cleric's prayers were answered, a sudden storm swept through the area, capsizing Tamarant, sending the ship to the bottom of the sea. Tamarant's secret. The sinking of Tamarant did not spell the end for Sir Gullin's band of pirates. As the ship plunged into the sea, he called out to his fiendish patron. Orcus heeded his call and imbued Sir Gullin's crew with undeath, the twisted form of immortality he offers his followers. So now we get some undead pirates. Okay. The pirates, now fully under Orcus's thrall, emerged from the wreckage and marched across the seabed to Firewatch Island. They overran the garrison and carried the remains back to their wrecked ship. There, with Orcus's instruction, they began the laborious process of opening the Pit of Hatred, a rift to the abyss that can transform corpses into drowned ones. Okay. After the raid by Circle's undead minions, the garrison at Firewatch Island remained empty for several years. The undead were careful to leave behind no sign of their presence. Such that the next ship to drop anchor there found the place abandoned. Its defenders seemingly vanished. The place was cursed for some time thereafter. Uh, five years ago, a minor order of monks, hermits, and contemplatives, contemplatives moved in and claimed the island as their home. The old garrison fort has been repaired and rebuilt as a place of peaceful living. Unfortunately, peaceful reverie has been ruined. Sir Gaul's crew has finally completed the work preparing the Pit of Hatred. They've been doing that for like five years, just kind of nearby. Now they need humanoid corpses to feed into the pit and spawn more drowned ones like themselves. Hermits of Firewatch Island make the perfect first recruits. Okay. Evil undead pirates working for Orcus. Uh, opening a nasty rift. That is very much a side quest. Nothing terribly relevant with uh, my campaign, but not everything has to tie into that for sure. Let's see, adventure summary and hooks. I'm gonna close that one. Uh, oh wait, sorry, I'm looking at Sinister Secret. Uh, go back to Tomorrow's Fate. All right, the adventure begins with characters traveling along the coast, arriving in the nearby village of Uskam. I can change all that. Village Druid Vort, ask the characters to investigate, make sure the hermits are just safe. When they arrive at Firewatch Island, the characters discover a grisly scene. All right, what does Firewatch Island look like? And unfortunately, this is all gonna be shit maps until we can find. Some replacements, but I'm not bothered firing replacements unless I know I'm going to use the, the adventure. So we're just going to have to look at the crap maps for now. Uh, let's see. Firewatch Island, where the party never ends. That's uh, That was something fire, I think. <laughs> Some fire island. Is it just fire island? Uh, okay, it's just a big kind of overland map, but it's a... Fairly small. Is this to scale? Let's see. Yeah, this island's only like 500 feet. That's pretty tiny. Barely an island, one would say. The rabbit firewatch on the characters come a grizzly scene. Events of a fatal battle and the. So why does it mention the fact why they're here? Adventure hooks. Let's skip down to the adventure hooks actually. Use this adventure at any point in your campaign when the characters are traveling on a remote coastal road. You might have them drawn to the mystery by chance, trusting the players to want to explore the devastated hermitage, rescue the survivors, and learn what happened. Alternatively, consider either following hooks to get the characters to the hermitage. Delayed delivery. While visiting a town along the coast near Firewatch Island, the party received a seemingly easy mission, deliver a message to the town farther down the coast. Doing so takes the characters to the village of Uskarn, where they learn that something is wrong on Firewatch Island. The mission... Thereon is not time sensitive, leaving the characters a free day or two to investigate. Okay, so deliver a mes message to a town farther down the coast. This is designed for ninth level players, right? This seems kind of beneath them. In a settlement somewhere close to Uskarn, a merchant named Davis Rall contacts the party with an offer of employment. Rall offers a bounty if the characters can track down Morley Tobe, a dwarf who absconded after failing to repay an 8,000 gold debt owed to Rall. This is already way more interesting. The merchant found out that Morley fled to Firewatch Island, where he's hiding in Area 25, and is posing as a pious hermit to dodge his debts. Rawl hires the characters to reclaim the money he has owed, or failing that, to bring Morley to him. This is That sounds very side questy. You just get hired to track a person down, and not to rescue them, but because they've fled their debts. They take the job. Rawl tells them how to get to Uskarn, which is the closest mainland community to the island. Okay. I'm more on board for that, and it gives another NPC the players can deal with. Placing the adventure of the Grotten Realms. Firewatch Island rises out of the Wyvern Water in Cormier. Well, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> uh, you're going to be on the Sword Coast, my friend. Or, you know, Nelanthar Islands or somewhere. And then, so when they get to... Alright, this one says he fled to the village. Let's see. 
Tells him how to get to Uskarn. Morley fled to... Oh, no, it does say Morley fled to Firewatch Island. Okay, so that's they've already got the quest to go to Firewatch Island, but just, they get to the nearby village first if they want to. Or you can just send them to the... You could skip this stupid village and just send them to Firewatch Island, then you could just be this island. All right, when they arrive at Firewatch Island, the characters discover a grizzly scene of its middle battle. Presence of dangerous scavengers. Gives little hope of finding anyone alive. When a handful of survivors are discovered hidden in a bolt hole, the characters learn about the dark fate of the Hermitage and its people. Drowned ones have finished hunting the last resident of Firewatch Island. The undead will turn their attention to the settlements, the cost becoming an unstoppable settlements of the coast, becoming an unstoppable army of undead. <laughs> it's like, meanwhile, this side quest, an unstoppable army of undead might work as. <laughs> I may I may turn down the stakes a little bit, because I feel like you could you could either go double on this and like turn this into almost a main quest campaign thing, or maybe turn it down and be like, no, they're not like doing this big thing for Orcus. They're just they're just evil here for whatever reason. Cursed pirates doing cursed pirate stuff. Starting to fall as the dark ones that attacked the Hermitage the previous night return to finish the job. Characters will defend themselves and the survivors. Ooh, is there like a defense against a bunch of undead thing? That's kind of a cool scenario. Uh, I haven't run like a, a real zombie movie type thing in D&D before. I'm always interested in that. After doing so, the characters learn of the island's history and how it connects to the undead attacks, and they have a chance to destroy the underwater source of evil, the twisted undead Captain Sergal. Seeking the undead in his watery lair, discover the damaged magical seal that once kept the portal inside the pit of hatred closed. Only by resealing the rift can they end its corruption for good. There is a lot of maps involved in this one, too. We've got the island overland map, then the Hermitage, which looks like it is three maps... Then you've got this underwater wreck, so that's a good amount of content. The drowned ones, the zombies that can't be turned. I don't know. I guess we will find out. Okay, so what do we have? A random road encounter with the village, the harpy matriarch, and eight harpies. That you have a chance to travel along the coast near the village of Uskarn. Uh, sobbing woman is actually happy. A sobbing woman is actually a harpy matriarch, huh? Which is used as magic to spell itself as a middle-aged human female. Oh, that's okay. That's actually a cool idea for an encounter. Is this a normal stat block, or is this a special thing for Ghosts of Saltmarsh? The ultimate lure. Guys, itself to resemble a human or So that's the classic, like you're going to help somebody, and then it turns out the person helping, the person seeking help is in on the ambush that they're gonna throw at you. Um, if I want to just use the island, though, I don't think I need to use any of this. But that, that's a cool idea for just a a road encounter in general. Also, a shit ton of harpies could be uh, a pain in the ass because each one of them. I, I think once you make the save, though, you're immune, right? Immune, well, it says immune to this harpy song. You could be an asshole of a DM. Be like, all eight of these have a chance to fucking charm you. <laughs> Each song is slightly different, in fact. What a pain in the ass that would be. The corpse on the beach was once an old human male. Left ears missing, or so breaches. Man died of exhaustion. The Firewatch Island, so this one might be more useful. Speak with the dead as he's going to get the body to produce an incarnate rainbow out terror in the dark and see being the only escape. Yeah, I could maybe use that one. Corpse that they find on the beach. Is that on the island, maybe? Or I guess that's actually the, the washed up on the village. Staying in Uskarn. I just don't see the need to use this village here. You can just put the island anywhere. I mean, I, I appreciate as a self-contained adventure, this one did need to have some kind of quest-giving village, but I wouldn't necessarily have to do that. I can give the quest anywhere and then just, just use this island. How far is this island supposed to be from the coast, though? Because clearly that debtor guy got there. A smuggling operation? <laughs> no. All right, let's get to the island itself, which is going to be a different map. Each harpy sings a different genre of music, yeah. This one's like kind of a EDM, and then we've got kind of a uh, techno pop, 
and then maybe J-pop, maybe K-pop, like it's all like a little bit different. <laughs> this one's just straight like country. <laughs> Got some like British rock in there. One of them sings like children's nursery rhymes, which is super creepy. Uh, I guess we're on the actual island map. Firewatch Island is a small island up between a populous peninsula and the mouth of a broad river. Okay, so it's supposed to be pretty small and located. It's not like in the middle of the ocean, in other words. This isn't like a random thing you'd find in the middle of the ocean. This is something you would find very close to another bigger landmass, I believe, to where it would only have like this like pier right here, and you can kind of just head over there with a little ferry boat or something, I think. It's only feature of note is the Hermitage, built on the site of the abandoned ruin of its old fortress. The tiny island is 800 feet long by 400 feet wide. Very, very small. Tallest stands more than 400 feet high along the southern coast of the island, or the other two are 300 and 100 feet, respectively. The island is normally home to only vermin, rats, variety of noisy birds, and various tidepool creatures, but now the stink of corpses in Area 14 has drawn additional scavengers, including a dangerous monster. Chief among the creatures drawn to the scent of death on the island is a monstrous periton known as Rasp. As a name. This creature is long hunted across the region. I don't think I've ever used peritons before, have I? I meant to use them in... No, I think I did use them in Rhyme, actually. Because I, I tried to use them for a long time, and I, did, I think I did finally use them on the, uh, the mountain, the Goliath quest, to... Uh, it ended up being the... What's it called? The Those weird fire giant... Centipede dragon things. Can't remember the name of them now. But that was a big uh, kind of Monster Hunter style quest we had. So is this a unique stat block? It's a monstrous periton. Oh yeah, CR11. My goodness. Oh man, if a harpy started singing uh, running up that hill, I'd be running up towards that harpy. <laughs> That is a big goddamn harpy. Alright, sorry, harpy. Monstrous Periton. I got harpies in the mind now. <laughs> Monstrous Periton also has legendary actions, straight up. That's nice. Dive attack, talent. Alright, alright. Just a random boss fight. Periton is up 360 feet, but they can see each creature. Must see a wisdom saving throw become cursed. While cursed, when the creature makes an attack roll, an ability check, or a saving throw, it must roll a d4 and subtract that number from the roll. It banes them. That's cool, but that sucks to use your action to, like, bane everybody. Have a chance at casting bane at three people. <laughs> uh, I feel like that needs to be a legendary action instead of its action. It, it needs to be attacking. It needs to be doing some hit, some damage on its turn. Uh, flyby, though, is the shit. This is what you want for all flying creatures forever and ever and ever. Otherwise, a flying creature is, I would say, near useless... Not near useless, but, you know, not nearly as cool. If it doesn't have flyby, which flyby is, it does not provoke opportunity attacks when it flies out of an enemy's reach, which means it can do flyby attacks. It can use its flight to its full capability, stay in the air, swoop down, launch all of its attacks, and swoop away and cause the players all kinds of consternation. Now, there are a billion spells that can stop it in its tracks. I mean, all kinds of crowd control spells and things, so... That would just basically require the players to do that. However, it also has legendary resistance on this bad boy, so that could be actually a fun little monster to use. And this is a ninth level adventure, so that's that would be kind of a funny little mini boss. I mean, it's like a random encounter, but like a mini boss fight. None who have tried to hunt the creature have returned. The makes frequent passes over the island, hoping to spot survivors' recent attack and devour. Characters arrive by day. How big is this thing? Does it say? Oh, I guess it should. A large monstrosity. Uh, large is not huge. <laughs> I guess peritons are medium sized, so it's it's still a big fucking periton. But it'd be equivalent to like the size of a Pegasus flying in the air. Because I was thinking about how scary to describe this thing. But it's still a Oh cool, we got art for it too. That's that's unique art. Well that that makes it look kinda stupid. <laughs> That just makes it look like a big-ass bird with antlers. It's picturing it being more of a chimera-looking thing. 
Every time Krieger passes, the characters arrive by day. Rasp welcomes them with its claws and beak. It is smart enough not to fight to the death, though, and leaves the island or turn one of its mainland layers. That's also a cool idea. If it just harries the party and then when it gets low, it just tries to retreat. If it can, it retreats. 60 feet of fly speed. If reduced to zero hit points, it attempts to pick the characters... Oh, reduce a character to zero hit points. I was like, wait, this <laughs> is some kind of death burst ability? If Rasp reduces a character to zero hit points, it attempts to pick the character up and fly back to its newly claimed lair in Area 24. Awesome. I almost feel like that just makes it um, more interesting of a fight if you have it... Because like, if, it's, if this creature, which is intelligence on nine, it's slightly below average intelligence would rather pick off fewer creatures, and it can do that by literally just grabbing somebody, right? So, and I think you could just use one of its attacks as a grapple attack, and thus it can do its flyby, do its attacks, grab somebody, and then fly up, and then that person might be happy because they're in melee range, but they also might be, you know, 30 feet in the air. But that kind of creates another cool dynamic, so I don't know if I would wait till it reduces a creature to zero hit points for it. Starts trying to grab somebody. But it would make sense, because then that person would be able to fight back. Rasp's recent predations have prompted other creatures in the island to stay out of sight. So I assume we'll get into what Area 24 is, but that's its lair. Oh, here we go. Traveling to Firewatch Island. A small keelboat makes a three-mile journey south from Uskar to Firewatch Island. So exactly like I said, it's, it's pretty damn close uh, to the nearest shore. So it's got to be wherever I put it. It would need to, it's a tiny island that needs to be close to some land somewhere. It, it could be in the island chain of the, uh, where is it, the Moonshea Isles, or down here in the Nelanther Isles, which I believe is where the actual Driftwood Docks is. Uh, or it could be anywhere along the Sword Coast. Could be in this, what is this, Red Rocks area south there? Or it doesn't have to be on the map even, so... But it is not in the middle of the ocean. The fairy is mastered by Ulder Razorhill, a short-tempered individual, but grudges his fate as a backwater sailor. Uh, let's see. Give the characters a way to explore on their own or leave the island independently. They can use a large rowboat. I mean, they're going to have... By the time they do this quest, they'll have their own ship anyway, so that part doesn't matter. The characters have their own ship. It's easy for them to reach Firewatch Island. Keep in mind, having access to their own ship makes escaping the island easy. But if the characters flee, they might have no way of tracking the undead. Back to the Pit of Hatred. Characters make their own way to the island and start the adventure by landing any point along its shore. If they use the Fairy Razor, puts in the only pier near the Hermitage on the north side of the island. I would imagine they would want to stop at the pier, but... You hear the faint sound of a large bell being rung. Something coming from the island and the sound fades quickly is not heard again. One of the survivors of Hermitage rang the bell when he saw the character's vessel approaching, but he was waylaid thereafter. Oh. Okay, so now we get into... Maybe it should be a druid. I, I, uh, we, we talked about it a little bit on our vacation because I had everybody there. Um, character wise, uh, at least I guess, uh, Heather, Chris, and Raymond talked about it. I, I'm pretty sure I know what Chris is going to be. I don't want to spoil it here. Um, uh, but I will say that he is, he, the last two big campaigns, Chris has played a very squishy. Uh, player character, so he's probably looking to not do that. Um, I, I know what Raymond is interested in. I did actually suggest a druid because I feel like that would be up his alley with the amount of shenanigans he could pull off in terms of um, using animals in fun ways. Uh, and then I think I know where Heather's going as well. Kind of the opposite of Chris, where she's played uh, Marshalls uh, for a lot recently and she really wants to get back into spellcasting, so I will tease some of that for ideas so far but uh, I've, I've been working on our player primer which is basically the document that I give my players so they know some information on, on uh, making characters and I am nearing the end of that to where I can give that out to my players and then they can start uh, really theory crafting who they're going to be because when we go into session zero we're actually building our characters which means we need to already basically know kind of 80-90% what you're going to do. You don't want to just go out, show up and start talking about your 
concepts at the session zero, I think, is you want to be able to build the character at session zero. So you need to have at least most of the players be, you know, 80 or 90% of the way there to making their characters. And then as of right now, I don't have a firm date for session zero. We're probably looking at at least two set no more sessions of of tomb of horrors which would be this friday and next friday so i think that the soonest at this point we would do a session zero for call from the deep would actually be uh september 1st which is the third friday from now uh so is there so there's nothing on firewatch island it's just we go immediately to the hermitage is that what i'm looking at see area one for more information i thought like the firewatch islands would give me some more context over the island itself, but it looks like it just goes right into uh, the Hermitage, so I guess we'll look at that. Oh, okay, it's kind of a zoomed in. It's actually a neat looking map, other than the uh, crappy art that doesn't look good on the VTT. Uh, so Hermitage first floor. Jojana was his favorite character because it was fun to smash, yeah. <laughs> they're aquatic ninja turtle uh we probably won't see people doing repeats either because our campaigns go pretty long uh so yeah you'll look at definitely look at players playing i, I would expect uh races and classes that they have not played before at this point going into call from the deep we have officially played every main class at least up and up to like a multi-class version nobody has played a and, and keep in mind like people rarely play like single class fighters for example um rogue is typically multi-classed so we ha i don't think we've played a single class or have we a fighter like even didn't like because i think george even went like a one level of rogue i think that was the the joke about the level the rogue dip um and we haven't played a single class warlock. I've played, I think, both multi class warlocks, <laughs> uh, and then maybe like paladins multi class. So we we played. So in other words, we haven't technically played every class single class. We have played every single class in some capacity at this point. Uh, we have obviously not played every single subclass though. There's a ton out there, and, and there's a ton of races slash ancestries and stuff too that we have not tackled. And and we have a new. Uh, book that just came out. In fact, you can see my review of the free adventure that was released on D&D Beyond, inspired by the book of Big B Presents Glory of the Giants, which also features more subclass content. Oh yeah, there's the Monstrous Periton. You can just use it right on this map. Versus the island map. Okay, so the we get an overland island map, but this actual Hermitage map covers a good... Uh, it's not just... Uh, the monastery thing, it's actually got some kind of outside action going on. So this is a good size map. I'm actually liking this quite a bit for being able to move around and explore. Wooden doors are unlocked. Ground floor is going to be entered a number of ways, including through the main doors between areas 2 and 4. And through the back doors of the Hermit Cells, Area 11, and the Kitchen, Area 12. Some of these doors have been secured against another assault by the Drowned Ones. There's your Drowned Ones. Uh, oh dear, this one... Uh, I just expanded the creatures and monsters, and there's none included here. So this, I guess, didn't load quite right when I added the module here. I've got it in the compendium, though. Let's get enter the hammer on the second floor with the door on the guard. This is actually very well organized. The guard tower, area 21, or climbing the walls and forcing open one of the second story windows. Island approach and the first floor. This is the ferry boat. Humanoid tracks leading from the waterline to the hermitage. Okay, on the few minutes of arriving, the characters are attacked by the monstrous periton. Wouldn't they be able to see it flying around, or I guess it stays out of sight? Razor's one who to stay close to the elements. Fairy's reaction to Rasp and the monster's reaction to him is up to you. Okay, but that's a that's a pretty big battle to soften him up. Courtyard Gardens. Oh boy. The vines at the base of the bell tower are four assassin vines. Those are no fucking joke either. I use those in Tomb of Annihilation. 
Yeah, they have 85 hit points apiece. And their Constrict can do a shit ton of poison damage. And they restrain people. It's nasty. But they can't move hardly. I mean, they're a fucking plant. They're... Oh, wait, they're resistant to fire? Okay. <laughs> That's a pain in the ass. But their whole thing is being able to basically ambush. Which is part of the danger, too. Because if you can ambush people with a good stealth check, I believe you get a surprise round and advantage. So the bell tower is this i guess this is the stairs going up and this is the tower up here at 15. brought to the island by a druid named talos one of those killed by the drowned ones vines are rooted in large clay pots yeah, the residents seem to give a wide berth to the vines which attack anyone except the now dead druid that comes within their reach thanks talos you made killer fucking vines everywhere now none of us can go near the bell tower <laughs> That's pretty good though. Just nobody expects nobody expects the assassin vines. <laughs> so that's I guess one way they can enter, right? Does it say they can enter through fifteen? See that one there. And it's area fifteen, so I guess I'll we'll have to get back there. But it looks like you could go up that way. Outer wall, starting the courtyard is fifteen feet high and three foot wide walkway. Double dozing the Hermitage wheels. Everything broken open and been jammed shut again. That's always fun. Yard and cistern. So three is still outside somewhere. I don't see where area three is. Although unfinished stone wall crosses a broad sandy yard abutting an open vista of beach and sea. Oh, yeah, it's down here. Boy, there's a lot of fun monsters in this place. There's chules, there's invisible stalkers. Sea hags. Two sea hags were drawn to the island during the recent attack when they heard the screams of the victims of the drowned ones. While prowling around the hermitage with an invisible stalker they summoned, the hags spotted the characters approaching and have hidden in the scrub nearest the wall. Boy. All these creatures just waiting for the players to show up. Hags can be noticed by... So this is only if they go around the outside of the hermitage they'll come up with these. DC 17 wisdom check. As a stalker in the cistern cannot normally be seen. Because it's fucking invisible. The hags are captured. They provide detailed accounts of the assault on the island. Cackle the light when speaking of the downed ones. The hags don't try to do any kind of duplicitousness. I feel like that would be the hag. What hags do? What, what do the hags do? Yeah, illusory appearance. That's what makes them fun. The drowned ones as walkers because the creatures plot along the floor of the bay. That would be awesome to be able to have these as like pretending to be uh, survivors and they even give some information, but they're fucking sea hags. They eagerly give the characters direction to the rift, trading predictions on the party members' deaths all the while. And then they've got an invisible stalker to help fuck with them. And there's treasure at the bottom, of course, and then I'll bet you can see it glinting. <laughs> Step into the mysterious. Pond. Alright, I'm liking this so far. Main entry. It's all very creepy. Broke down the main doors. There's numerous humanoid tracks in the blood and dirt streaking the floor. That's good. The midden. His room is a dump and privy. Dropping the refuse to the trapdoor above. Nice. Giant rat slither and skitter through, through the pile of waste. Gross. Not as bad as an Achiug, though. Although you can get the Sewer Plague. Oh, no. <laughs> Not the Sewer Plague. I did put in my um, 20 cats uh, in my primer. Like, hey, obviously it's a nautical campaign. Like, uh, you know, characters who have seafaring abilities or swim speed or breathing underwater would obviously be powerful, but not necessary. Uh, and if you have any, you know, characters who are interested in that or have that as a background in terms of like ship life or dock life or whatever that would obviously be more relevant here but and i did put this on my primer it would also be fun to have a character who explicitly doesn't like uh the ocean or gets seasick or has a fear of water or that kind of thing and that can be like a constant you know uh quirk to have to work through so not everybody has to be a bunch of seasoned pirates 
In fact, I think that what makes a lot of group dynamics work very well is you have somebody who maybe is a seasoned pirate, you know, and knows a lot of stuff, and then you have some other character who's, you know, beneficial in other ways and powerful in other things, but maybe they just constantly are like, oh, God, not the ship again. You know, that could be fun. Scullery. It's all very nasty. Drown ones killed several hermits here. Hall the bodies area 14. The door area 11 is barricaded from the side. It's all very creepy environmental storytelling. There's blood spatters, barricaded doors. Like, this is all good shit. So I like that we get some combat opportunities early on because it's kind of investigative through the first part of it. Which is probably why you have that forced monstrous periton battle. So you get the you get kind of a good combat in there, out of the way, and then you can get back to doing just exploration. The dining hall. The library serves as a chapel. Divine intervention against the approaching Temerat. Or the chamber into a library of books. Impressive looking but hold no monetary value. It's a handwritten poem that's got some relevance. Beware the sea and its scarlet harbinger. Beware the sword and death that await. For guidance we beseech almighty Stormlord consigned to our foes Temerat's fate. It's kind of cool. The beginning of the verse will look familiar to characters who visit the Belfry. Characteristic is on an intelligence check, recognizes Tamarod's a family name, calls it was a noble clan, fate of history years ago. And they can find scrolls. Always find scrolls in libraries. It's best, best, best place to find scroll loot, I find, in, in video games and everything. <laughs> Distilleries got some assassinberry wine. Fantastic. Why would you drink that? Yeah, you have a con saving throw or become poisoned. Damn it, Talos. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking grew killer plants and no I'm not gonna drink your stupid poison wine you don't get a high off of it you're just sick it just makes you ill you drunken asshole <laughs> you just find increasingly books about people bitching about Talos stupid druid the drowned one's main assault on the hermitage took place here in the cells which are unfortunately you've got some detail in every single one of these rooms on the map and then the cells have nothing and it's completely empty looking individual meditation cells the entire room is in shambles yeah I wish we could see that on the map many of their partitions damaged and the curtains torn apart drowned ones made assault and the place here most of the residents were sleeping in their cells and died in the first minutes of the attack yikes the residents only hope the druid Talos died in his cot damn it Talos <laughs> You useless asshole. Probably drunk off assassinberry wine. Rats attracted to the slaughter skulking in the room. Uh, no, they're not. I wish you were looking at the right room. Number. Oh, there they are. The swarm of rats. Okay, I see them. Swarms of rats are different than giant rats, though. The swarms of rats can be far nastier. Still very exploration-based, though, which I'm digging. It's kind of creepy. It's it's really kind of horror themed, isn't it? The larder, parchment shows, barely legible writing. Map. There's a map dropped here by one of the drowned ones that ransacked the area. Formerly navigator in Tamarot. The map shows Firewatch Island nearby coast and has diagrams to convey the invaders' original plans for using the island as a staging ground for fallen assault against the mainland. The invaders being now the Orcus pirates, I guess. There's a secret door. Where are we? Right here. Okay, it's got a ladder. A secret cellar. Drowned ones ransack the shelves. Since nearest the cellar of the sea god, the undead could not find the entrance to the cellar. Okay. That's probably important. Uh, we're still on the first map, though. 14 is a grotto, which is back here. So there's a back door leading to the grotto. Steep paths and centipede from shore, sand of beach up to an exterior door. Boat is pulled halfway up to the beach. So you could technically land here if you wanted to. Partially concealed grotto serves an escape route for the Firewatch Island garrison. A large mass of corpses barely visible below the water surface near the boat. Creepy, good. Bodies being stored here by the drowned ones so they can all be transported to the Pit of Hatred, where they will be turned into more undead to swallow the ranks of Sergal's minions. 
Sergal's ultimate plan to create an army of drowned ones again, lay waste populated coastal areas. But of course, there's even more creatures coming under his way. Three chules hide beneath the massive corpses. These creatures were attracted by blood in the water and feeding idly on the bodies below the surface. Nice. Chules are fun. Pretty strong creatures. Let's say a perception check to find them. It doesn't say. It says, quick to notice anyone on the shore entering the water. So I guess they would pretty much attack quickly after they... Assuming they took like two steps out of this area. 13 corpses. Wow. What's funny is you see the undead corpses and you'd be like, oh shit, they're going to rise up as zombies or some shit. But no, just a bunch of giant lobster monsters are going to come out. <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like the Assassinberry wine should have something going for it. Like, otherwise, why would you why would you drink that if it's just straight bad? That's a cool idea, though, 20 cast. Extra sneak attack damage or something. Just something. It, it should confer something. But you got to make that save to stomach it. Green slime in the old storeroom. Which is actually 15. So I guess the... Okay, so the stairs past the Assassin Vine, they must be on level 2 then, the actual bell tower. Because this old storeroom, I guess, is beneath the bell tower. Green slime is the little nasty dungeon environmental thing. Alright, so we're on the second floor. We're not going to get through this whole dungeon, I don't think, unless I skip through a lot of stuff. Okay, here we go. Level 2. Hermitage, second floor. Uh, let's see, 16 is a junk room. So what do they, they get there pretty much from the, just the main, that was that the, was the galley or something, and then they can go upstairs from area seven. Wait, so why do I jump to 16? Did I not finish going through the Hermitage? 16, 17. I guess it just reminds me that seven was down there. Okay. So 16 is the, I thought that was the bell tower. 16 is the junk room. The bell tower's on top. Formerly an armory. With not much loot. 12 plus 2 bolts. Okay. 17 battlements. Uh, 18 the scriptorium. This is... Oh, it's not attached to the library. There's a bunch of giant snakes in there, though. Yikes. Three giant coral snakes lurk in this chamber. Snakes originally lived in a cave on the east side of the island where they found rats. When the rats were drawn to the fortress, the snakes followed. Entering this area through the arrow slit. Snakes are currently coiled up in the north section of the room and emerge to attack anyone trespassing their new lair. Oof. Wife's gonna love that. Why did it have to be snakes? Oh, those are very realistic looking token, too. God damn. CR4 snakes with 90 hit points each? That's kind of boring, because their attack's not that good. They still only do 8 damage. <laughs> the target begins to hallucinate and is afflicted with short-term madness. Well, that's fun. But that's way too many hit points for a creature that attacks one time and deals so little damage. Although the short-term madness is a fun idea to constantly inflict that on people. But you could have these creatures' hit points and still have the intended battle effect that you want. That's ridiculous. A the most boring fight was when you have creatures that stick around way too long and the fight's already like a foregone conclusion. And that's what would happen if against those creatures. Offensive Overlook. Prior's Quarters. Still not finding any... Where was the... I guess the NPC said it was in Area 25, didn't it? It's a lot of, like, it's a lot of, it's very exploration heavy, where the players are really making their way through the dungeon, which, you know, we don't have a lot of that in this campaign yet. It, well, probably the best version of that is going to be right at the beginning, actually. The actual Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh, the Haunted House, is going to be the best uh, opportunity for that, and then not again for a long time. So maybe this will be a good way of doing another kind of creepy, you know, evil, unsettling house with some monsters and shit. Uh, very much later in the campaign as just a complete side quest. Guard Tower. So there's, they can still go up one more level. It looks like from uh, 16 goes up a level. Is that right? Yeah, staircase coming along the chamber's inner wall, rise to a trap door in the ceiling. 
Okay, so then we go to the upper floor, which is just the roof and this number 22, I guess. Abandoned quarters. There's the top of this tower. Arrow slit, section of the wall, south has collapsed outward. Archaeus, the wizard of the old Firewatch Island garrison, once resided in this chamber. It is he who first gave the warning of the approaching Temerat, resulting in Orlon, Oleron's desperate prayer to Procon, the ship's resulting demise. The wizard's gull familiar spied the ship at sea and brought word back to him. Archaeus was slain with the rest of the garrison and they drowned one's initial attack. Poor Archaeus. But you can find some good treasure up here, it looks like. 500 feet of weighted hemp and rope. Score! That was worth going through this death house. Ring of free action. Oil of slipperiness. Three potions of water breathing. A movable rod. Folding boat. Come on, Eric. There's a lot of treasure here. And a bag of holding. Alright. That's a lot of, like, mid-tier treasure. But that is a lot of them. You can also find a spell book. Or no, a spell book is long lost. But the journal remains inside. Why not just let him have the spell book? I'm not entering the list. Gives the location of the sunken Temerat. Okay, this is the important thing I was looking for. How do they get to the actual ship? So there's no like evil drowned ones or anything here. It's actually, it's actually very understated, almost too much. So like you expect to finally uncover like you know the cellar where the evil shit is happening. Instead, you just get kind of some. It, it's a lot of like something, some bad thing went down here. And then finally, if you make your way to this very top-level wizard chamber, you get a lot of treasure. And there's no, like, boss fight here or locked door or anything. It's very open-ended, very just exploration, player-focused. But the key is you do have to explore this house and get to this one upper chamber before you can even get to the shipwreck underwater. So I do kind of like that. So it gates the final area, uh, which I take it is this, the wreck map. Yeah, we've got this big old journal entry. What are the folk of the cause they broke to this bloody tide? Stormlords answered the prayers. Vessel went down near the pit of hatred. An ill-starred undersea chasm two miles south of Firewatch Isle. The rift is said to be a passage to a source of indeterminable evil that was long ago sealed away. Somebody should really do something about that. The wreckage should rupture the wards. Terrible darkness might be unleashed. You were right. I fear the wards and the rift have been broken. I must first set, set out first thing in the morning to inspect the wreckage. But it never made it. The roof and the belfry. A human body is sprawled in the depression at the center of the stone floor. How do they get to the belfry? 24? I missed how they get there. Basement was on the body, large bronze bell engraved with symbols across the floor. Next to the body, a message is scrawled in chalk. Beware the sea killers. Firewatch beacon. A surviving hermit named Aaron spotted the characters approaching the island and ran here to ring the bell and call for aid. Unfortunately for him, the ringing of the bell attracted Rasp back to the belfry. Aaron saw the monster's approach and quickly scrawled his message on the floor before him to flee back downstairs wasn't quick enough. It is his body that now adorns the center of the room. Oh, and that's actually his lair is up there. Okay. So Rasp would be coming from that location then. Only present here is an artificer is feeding one of the party members after besting the character in combat. If it's feeding on one of the party members. <laughs> Yikes. 25 is the bolt hole. What is that? Oh, is this the the cellar? Is this the one room cellar? Yeah. Three trembling figures huddled against the far wall. Okay, uh, hang on. We need to go back to the second floor. No, first floor. Area 13. Make sure I know where this leads. The larder, secret door, ladder over then reaches down to a secret cellar, area 25. Okay, as far as the prior attack have hidden. Okay, so... So unfortunately you have to... Notice a DC-12 investigation check notices the back slab of potato bin are built in the brick. Uh, so you'd have to come up with a way to either have the party notice that. You don't want to leave that up to a check, because that's kind of important to be able to find this cellar. Three trembling figures hurling as far well, trying to turn with the dusty, deteriorated members of an ar armored corpse. The body's sightless eyes, sockets stare up blankly. A small silver disc is clutched in one of its skeletal hands. 
Let's see. Only the officer travel and resident of his existence. The three surviving residents of Renditor take refuge in the chamber. Jenor Stormswake, a human cleric. Verit Galofen, a very ill male human. And Morley Tobe, slightly ill and heavily indebted dwarf. So that's our dwarf person that the party would be going to get because I do like that hook for our side quest is, hey, there's somebody who owes me money. That feels like something the players would take on too. Hey, uh, this person owes me money. I will give you a cut. I mean, you're basically just a bounty hunter at that point. Um, they've fled to this island. Go get them. But yeah, sure, we'll do that. That sounds like adventurer shit. <laughs> All three survivors have been traumatized by the recent attacks, which were unknowingly triggered by Janor Stormswake's arrival at the Hermitage. I don't know the timeline here. The fourth Hermit also survived the initial undead attack, but he was recently slain by Rasp in the Belfry. Since Aaron has not returned after leaving to scout the island. So that'd be kind of cool is if they haven't been to the Belfry yet, they could talk about how um, they had four of them and one of them just hadn't come back yet. Hermits just remained hidden in fear. The silence above was a ploy by the lurking undead to draw them into their hiding place. Quickly became obvious the wounds Morley and Barrett suffered have caused a horrible disease. Contact disease called Blue Rot from the Drowned Ones. Barrett is very ill and has lost four points of constitution and charisma from the disease unless he is cured one hour after the character discover him. Barrett must succeed on a DC 12 con save or take 48 necrotic damage, and the failed save likely kills him. Oh, something gonna turn into a drowned one. I could change that. Morally fared better and has lost only one point of constitution and charisma. Must make his first DC 12 con save against these in roughly 20 hours. Cool. All of them are in shock. Yeah, one of them is too injured. Library when a sudden premonition of danger came to her from a god broken. How long have they been down here though? They witnessed the undead gathering everybody. One of those girls may be salvaged from the grotto. passing ships, been ring the bell. Maybe a couple days. The characters haven't identified the ruined map found in area 13 directly informed that it shows Firewatch Island, local coastline nearby settlers, settlements. Invaders plan for an assault. She guesses the undead are still following orders they were under when Tamarat was sunk. Cool, and then there's the last stand. And we're supposed to check on the status of the boat. Scenario 14, failed to return. Zero is kept to investigate further. An undead assault against the coast come at any number of locations and be all but impossible to defend against because the drowned ones are able to add to their undead ranks to the text cause the size of the army. Yep, that's the shitty thing about fighting undead. The characters decide to stay and wait the fall of night, and the other system remaining in the bolt hole is safe. It's far that you get to risk. So, literally, the drowned ones are coming. Is that what this one is? Preparing for the drowned ones? That's so cool. Defending the fortress. Oh, man. That's such a cool thing. So you get the information that, like, they're coming this night. Uh, now that you've explored this place, now you have to defend against it, and there's different things you can do. And, yeah, you can move the assassin vines. They're in their pots. As long as their murderous nature is temporarily quelled. <laughs> That's fascinating. You can turn a creepy dungeon into your defensible position against the undead. That's so cool. Oh, wow. Zombies, drowned blades, drowned ascetics. There's even different stat blocks to use. Waves of undead. This is really spiffy. I'm having to go through it because we're way out of time. And then you can take the battle to them after you're done. That's so cool. Oh, the gull. The wizard's gull is still around. <laughs> but yeah, 300 feet deep. Above the pit of hatred. I assume that's just one awesome scenario with a bunch of evil shit going on. Cool. I I like this. I like Temurant's fate quite a bit, actually. Um, I don't think I can plug it into any of my ongoing quest chains. But I think what could start as just an innocuous side quest about, hey, go, this guy owes me money, he fled to this nearby island, turns into this like huge, crazy thing that could easily take multiple sessions... But it's damn cool. Like, it's for... And that would be, like... I mean, gosh, that's... It's probably worth a level up right then and there. But I, I like it. I like the the theme of it. I, it plays out well. I like the idea of exploring this creepy space where a bad thing happens. And then you have to defend against the wave of undead coming at you after you explore it. And then you get to go take the fight to them in their cool, like underwater like undead stuff so that's that's all really cool so i'm i'm digging that quite a bit and i will find a way to 
Uh, probably use Temurat's Fate at some point as a just later on side quest the players get, which I won't need too many because we're going to have plenty of content to use. Okay, that will do it for this slightly extra long uh, session of Crafting the Deep. If you enjoy the content, as always, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. I need to go back to Call from the Deep to get my music. Uh, Shoutouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe Will, Thomas Stan, Brandon Zenicider, David Eclectic, Roleplay Roll, Christopher Brian, Corey Coa, 1337, Big Nut, John, John, Scott, Eric, Tyler, Nathan, Camp, Crystal Lake, Counselor, Andrew, Daryl, The Relderin, Matt, Captain, Woody, 79, Jaren, Matthew, Argius, and Stephanie, and Gold Patrons, RPG, Papercrafts, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Deadlizard Lounge, Sam, Lumpy's Bods, Room, Nathan, Fasica, Tortoise, Scott, Refus, Karen, William, Jerry, Thomas, and Prophet, thank you all very much for your support. I'll see you for another episode of Tomb of Horrors tomorrow.